Welcome back to Humans of Purpose, the weekly podcast featuring conversations with local purpose-driven leaders, leaders creating social impact through their work and fostering in a new era of social progress. We want you to listen, connect, and grow with us. Learn more at humansofpurpose.com. You know, enterprises that do some, you know, amazing work, right, provide employment to people with disabilities. Um, you know, the way that they completely re-engineer their work processes to ensure that someone who can't get employment anywhere else can do a particular job. Um, I'd love for large corporates to learn from them. Those are the wise words of Genevieve Lobo. Genevieve is Principal Growth Services, Strategy and Partnerships at Social Traders. She's had a stellar career as a management consultant working overseas and locally, and has since dedicated herself to the social enterprise sector right here in Victoria. I really enjoyed listening to Genevieve's story and understanding why she's so inspired to help social enterprises develop. Humans of Purpose is now 100% community-powered, with our generous Patreon supporters enabling me to cover the majority of my monthly costs of production. As always, a big thank you goes out to our Patreon community of supporters, including Humanism, Clyde, Susie, Kynan, Deb, Sue K, Carmen, Misha, Jasmine, Sue P, Joel H, Levi, Jules, Sally, Will, B, Lyndon, Olivia, Joe, McCartan, Joel F, and Stuart. You can now become a monthly Patreon supporter today for as little as the price of a single cup of coffee at $4. Of course, you can support us at whatever level you like. I highly recommend checking out the Humans Plus option for some amazing behind-the-scenes access and ability to be connected to our podcast guests. Last Friday, we had our first Patreon-exclusive live Zoomcast with Lyndon Galea and five of our patrons attending. Our patrons had front-row seats to the action and gave me some great questions to ask Lyndon. I look forward to hosting more of these in the weeks to come. To be part of these, you'll need to join our Patreon community, which you can do by hitting the link in our show notes or heading over to patreon.com slash humansofpurpose. We recorded this conversation over Zoom mid-lockdown. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Genevieve as much as I did. Genevieve, welcome to the podcast. Terrific to have you with us. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to have you. Uh, we organised this um, a little while ago where we're mid-peak COVID. But um, look, I heard about the terrific work that you're doing at Social Traders and it's been a while since we checked in with Social Traders and the mission and the journey. But I think your career is also really interesting, shifting from management consulting to Social Traders and the social enterprise space. So I'm keen to hear a bit from you, just a bit about your early stages of your journey um, into management consulting and then uh, to Social Traders. I might start a little further behind, actually. So this sure. is. Um, so have you have you ever been to India? Oh, my wife has. I'm dying to go, but uh, not no, haven't. All right. So that's where I grew up. So I grew up in um, India. I studied. Um, I did my chartered accountancy, um, and I joined PwC um, in M and A back then. Um, but I, my dad worked with an oil company, um, and we were on the road a lot. Um, as children and you know if you just imagine a really dusty hot road um, full of potholes in the middle of nowhere that you know I spent a huge part of my childhood on you know on those roads just going from place to place and there are these little like stalls at the side of the road where people can stop for a cup of tea they're called dhabas Um, so you know that's where all the truck drivers stop for tea and coffee and things like that and when we were traveling with dad um, there was this one trip where um, we stopped at one of those dabas for a cup of tea. And um, my dad asked me to stay in the car because that's not really a nice place for a young girl <laughs> to kind of step into. Um, and there was this 
little child in rags um, that came to the car window to sell um, some peanuts. And, um, you know, the stall owner came out. He was furious that there was this, like, dirty little thing that came close to his customer who's in a nice car. And he literally backed her on the bottom and he shoot her off. I must have been about 11 years old. Um, and the girl was probably about seven. And that moment has stayed with me since. So it was, it really impacted me as a person. Like I, at that point, you know, really wanted to kind of take that girl home with us because I was like, she was just trying to sell peanuts, right? I mean, I was no better than her. Um, but then so that's, I, that's you know, a beautiful early story about sort of like humble beginnings, but also like, you know, valuing um, other people and, you know, the care for humans. It's a beautiful story. Yeah, it was just, you know, I mean, I, India has like ridiculous levels of in, income inequality. Like we weren't from a particularly wealthy family at all, but even, you know, from between middle class and the poorest of the poor, there's such a huge difference there um, that I could recognize my own privilege back then. Um, anyway, so I had that point in time had decided that I wanted to do something with my life that would make her life better. But then I just got caught up with, you know, having to study and then doing work, went into M&A, had a fantastic time. You know, I did 50 deals in two years. So it was a crazy life. Wow. <laughs> Sounds um, fast-paced, high-octane uh, consultant life. Yeah, it was a bit Wolf of Wall Street, actually, back then, uh, without <laughs> the cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> important clarification. Yep, very important. <laughs> um, and then I met uh, my husband and we decided to move to Melbourne. Um, because, um, you know, after that high octane life, I'd heard that in Australia, um, you know, it's always warm and there's sunshine, there's amazing beaches, people stop working at four o'clock on a Friday and <laughs> wear shorts every day to work. And so I got on a plane and um, somehow I ended up joining PwC again, um, continued with MA for another year or two, and then moved into corporate strategy, um, which was also pretty amazing. So I spent the next five or six years solving some really important corporate problems. Um, but I don't think I ever lost the memory of that little girl. I mean, clearly it stayed with me. And as I started to get more senior in a way at PwC, I started feeling like I was, um, I could have an influence in terms of the problems we were trying to solve. And I, one of my last projects at PwC was with a large bank and we were about to implement the first robotics rollout. Um, and I think there were 6,000 people that were going to be made redundant at that time. And given it was the first of the four banks that were going to do this, all the other banks were going to follow. And so we were literally talking about, you know, tens of thousands of people that were going to be made redundant within a very short period of time. And so I started asking the question as to what's going to happen to these people? Um, you know, are they going to get any jobs anywhere else? Like, you know, what's going to happen to their kids? They're going to have to get pulled out of private school probably, or, you know, what's going to happen to their mental health. And um, there was no one really that was engaging in these conversations. Um, and I just stopped enjoying that aspect of my work. Um, I wanted to make, you know, I wanted, I still believe that, you know, there is a purpose for business. I still believe that there is a mechanism for trade and you need to, you know, identify a market need, create a product, sell it, make a profit, reinvest the profit, pay wages and do all of that stuff. But I think there's a way we can do it where we're also not piling on problems onto society for someone else to solve. 
sort of the notion of, you know, business as a force for good. But I feel like PwC was doing some strong branding in that space for a little while, but maybe not um, completely nailing the project of uh, business with a purpose. Well, PwC, it wasn't PwC. The problem is with firms like PwC, um, they absolutely have a very strong brand. I mean, it's solving important problems. That's why they exist. But they solve the problems that they're asked to solve. Mm, correct. Um, so the problem that I was asked to solve at that project was how do we maximize benefits from robotics process automation? Um, and so the question I was asking was, I was asking questions um, to the leaders in the bank as to, you know, should we also be solving some of those other problems or who's going to be solving those other problems? And how, and how were you treated when you brought that up? Was it, was that welcomed or challenging? No one heard me. <laughs> I didn't have a conversation with anyone. It was like, I wasn't even speaking. Um, yeah, it was a, it was very interesting. Um, yeah, it sometimes can be the case when you're bringing up um, problems of a, a much wider and structural sort of uh, scope, um, it just sort of goes over people's heads sometimes and they don't want to engage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, and I, like to be fair, back when I was still at PwC, um, I don't think my voice was as strong on these topics. My awareness was very limited. Um, I couldn't. I had not spent enough time exploring some of these problems. Uh, it wasn't until I actually joined Social Traders that I, um, I think, found my voice and I started researching these topics and I started to get more passionate about it. And so how did you make your way to um, from PwC to Social Traders? I'm sort of keen to understand that process and did you think about joining other firms? What was sort of like the, um, the process like? Yeah, a couple of things happened. So when I left PwC, um, I joined a food and beverage company as uh, in, you know, as a strategy role in a strategy organization. But that didn't quite work for me for a whole bunch of different reasons. So you don't need to get into right now. But then I left that and I was about to start my um, executive MBA with Melbourne Business School. Um, and so I had a few months between leaving my food and beverage role um, and while I started my MBA. And that prompted a lot of thinking. The first couple of modules were around leadership and ethics. And I was also trying to figure out my next role. And um, that's where I started to do some research. And I discovered this whole new world of social enterprise. And the reason why I say whole new world is, um, for another bit of context, while I was busy working at PwC, I had also been busy making two little humans. So um, for the last six or five years before that, I think my head was just down in the sand and I hadn't paid attention to what was happening around me. Um, and so when I started figuring out what next, I discovered the whole world of social enterprise. I came across social traders and um, luckily they were hiring at the time. So I, um, yeah, so I literally just begged for the job. And, and what was it that sort of drew you to social enterprise? Was it sort of taking you back to that little girl and kind of your memory of aligning your career purpose with that moment? It was a combination of my skills as well. Um, like I have worked in corporate strategy and in business and I do believe like, you know, we shouldn't just completely toss out capitalism. We shouldn't just completely toss out the, you know, um, entrepreneurship as an idea um, of solving problems because it has been an efficient mechanism to solve problems. Um, and I really like the idea of using business and doing business in a way that um, deals with some really important challenges of our time, as opposed to, um, you know, just charities or giving as a mechanism. And I felt like I could, my skills would be useful in the sector, most importantly. So I didn't have to leave everything that I had learned and I was so proud of from a 
skills perspective. That's really well said. And how much did you know about social enterprise before you uh, joined social traders versus now when you're sort of in, in the mix? Do you feel that you have a good understanding about the, the role of social enterprise? Yeah, um, I didn't know much about social enterprise back then. Um, I was still like I had been on the website and I read the definition. I was I had a conceptual understanding of what social enterprise is. Um, the last two years, like we have around nearly 400 social enterprises now um, that are are certified enterprises. So I have spent a lot of time working with them in a great amount of detail. So my understanding is um, has evolved, thankfully. So, so maybe if, if I could ask you to illustrate, what is the sort of the role of the social enterprise today and sort of other enterprises too, maybe by way of contrast? Um, I think social enterprises are a role model for the corporate sector today. That's how I see them. I mean, I don't think they're still quite small. They're still quite niche. Um, they're still resource starved. So they still can't be relied on to solve all the problems of the world. But I think they are a really great example of how you can use business and do business in a way that that's not damaging society. Um, you know, enterprises that do some, you know, amazing work, like provide employment to people with disabilities. Um, you know, the way that they completely re-engineer their work processes to ensure that someone who can't get employment anywhere else can do a particular job. Um, I'd love for large corporates to learn from them you know, so to figure out how we can actually, we talk, we heard a lot about um, quotas in the workplace for um, females. We have, as a result of Black Lives Matter, we're talking about, you know, places on the boardroom and senior executive team for uh, people from vulnerable communities. But there's very little um, that you hear about in terms of what is it that organizations need to do differently to ensure that these people then thrive within those organizations. Um, and I think social enterprises have kind of nailed that because they that's what why they exist. Majority of these enterprises exist to provide employment for people who don't get employment anywhere else. So it must be like incredibly exciting to work in that space. And are you seeing some great social enterprises through social traders do just that, sort of to spur, um, you know, more females in the workplace and senior roles and uh, more racially and ethnically diverse people in key roles? Are you seeing a bit of that happen? Um Look, definitely, definitely there's greater gender diversity in the social enterprise sector. Um, I think when it comes to ethnic diversity, I probably haven't seen as much as I would like still. Um, but I think that it's just a factor of, you know, time. Um, I don't think this, I think this sector is definitely more inclusive than any other sector that I've been in. Um, but I think the leadership within the social enterprise, not-for-profit philanthropy space um, is still not as diverse once you take gender out of the equation as I would probably like to see it. And what about other sorts of diversity? I mean, people with disabilities and cognitive diversity, are you sort of seeing that kind of improve or is that not on the radar yet as much as some of the other forms of diversity? There's definitely in terms of employment because that's why they exist. But at leadership levels, I think there might genuinely be um, some like limitations potentially, especially some of the people that they employ with cognitive disabilities. I'll give you an example to bring this to life. Um, my first social enterprise that I visited was an organization called GenU. Um, they're based in Geelong. Um, and um, this was a pick and pack operation. So there was someone, they were, they'd set up a kind of a process to pack um, six cardboard ores in a little box. 
So there was one person's job to, uh, there was an A4 sheet of paper and you'd drawn six squares on that. And so the way the person knew that there were six was by placing one O in each of the squares. So that's how he was taught to count six. And this person was um, probably my dad's age. But when I walked past, he kind of did this with his fingers. Like he showed me six fing- six fingers. And he was so proud of the fact that he could do that. <laughs> you know, I mean, I had tears in my eyes at that moment because my daughter, she would have been um, she three at the time. She was just starting to do that. Oh, yeah, so his cognitive age was my daughter's cognitive age at the time. So, and still making a very meaningful contribution at Genu. That's uh, that's an interesting story. And he was happy, right? Mm, I mean, he was mm. genuinely happy to see me uh, to, and to do that piece of work and to make that connection. So, I mean, you know, that's an example of how a company has kind of changed his process to ensure that he has a job. But whether he'll be able to run Genu is a different question, unfortunately. So. Yeah, well, it's not the only question. It's a question. Um, Maybe if I can ask you a little bit about social traders. I mean, how has social traders changed in its own mission sort of in the past few years? And what is the focus right now of uh, the organization? Yeah, so 12 years ago, social traders was um, almost established to uh, develop the social enterprise sector from scratch. It didn't exist. Um, Our definition has evolved since... um, We've then done a lot of advocacy work with the government in terms of social procurement framework. So the sector itself has come a long, a long way. Back then, um, we used to run Crunch, which was an accelerator program. I think we did impact investing, um, a lot of consulting work. We did almost everything for social enterprises. Over the last few years, um, we've been focused quite significantly on social procurement as a mechanism to grow the sector because... This is where we're trying to convince large businesses and government departments to buy from social enterprise um, because that's how we believe um, the sector will grow because that you know, when they buy, they buy at scale. Um, and it just, yeah, it just gives opportunities to the social enterprise sector that they wouldn't normally have. And um, that's been, it's been, it's been quite, it's been great in a sense, uh, but it's also been quite challenging because, uh, you know, there's um, the Victorian government has been quite great in terms of the social procurement policy and framework, but I think there's still work to be done in terms of getting private corporate organizations to understand why they should be buying from social enterprise. Yeah, so it's sort of getting that piece right around the corporate engagement and sort of growing that side of things. And is that sort of very much your space, the, that sort of growth role and trying to match up more corporates with the social enterprise opportunities? Yeah, absolutely. So we run a whole bunch of, um, you know, we run networking events where we can um, introduce social enterprises to large organizations. We obviously have um, a membership model. So social enterprises um, have access to um, a Salesforce page and business and government members can search for these enterprises and um, buy from them. Um, And we also do things like um, social procurement strategy with uh, business and government members. So we will talk to them and understand what their procurement needs are and then try and identify and match relevant enterprises to those organizations. Um, So there's a lot of work that we tend to do behind the scenes that not many people have visibility over and social traders to try and just grow the sector early. And what are the unique challenges posed by COVID for uh, for social enterprise growth? Because you sort of talked sort of talk about, you know, the need to grow the sector and networking and this kind of stuff. And it can be quite difficult with uh, being in lockdown. Uh, so how have things sort of been for you and, and how does the role kind of evolve of social traders during this period? 
I think the networking has been fine. Our team um, has we've done we're we're doing everything online um, now. So we've been doing virtual networking events, and that's been going really well. Um, we've been doing you know category networking events. That's actually made it easier to some extent because. I mean, we don't have to worry about venues and numbers of people and stuff like that. So that's actually been easier to do. I think the challenge for the sector has really been in terms of a significant drop in revenue. Um, I mean, the, uh, there's huge exposure within the social enterprise sector to um, the hospitality events and catering space, and obviously, you know, all of those things have stopped. Um, so that's been really difficult for the sector. Um, and there are a lot of organizations that kind of thrive on selling to businesses that work within the CBD. And so as people don't come into work, like coffee shops, for example, or, um, you know, organizations that provide catering to corporates and corporate staff, um, all of those things have um, declined quite significantly. And how do you see the um, the social enterprise sector rebounding? Do you think it'll be sort of a slow slow to get back on its feet or is it sort of showing good resilience? Um, look, I think time will tell. Um, there's been, I mean, I think this is a sector that's full of like, you know, really smart, motivated people. So I think definitely uh, we've seen stories of resilience. Um, I mean, you would have seen uh, the Moving Feast initiative where um, a whole bunch of social enterprises have come together to provide food for the most um, vulnerable communities. I mean, there's just you know, stuff like that, that the sector has just really risen up to do, um, which has been quite amazing to watch. Um, but it really does depend on how long this is going to drag on. The government has been, you know, JobKeeper has helped the sector a fair bit, like it has helped a lot of small businesses. But there's just so much uncertainty at the moment. Um, we're really hoping, like everybody else, we're crossing our fingers. I mean, we do expect this to be a really slow, bloody recovery. <laughs> Um, it's a tough one, isn't but, it? It's a bit enduring, but uh, we'll all get there in the end, hopefully. Yeah, we will. So and tell hopefully. me, um, during the pandemic, are you doing anything uh, like new to kind of look after yourself and look after your health or or are you reading anything interesting? There's sort of two questions piled into one, <laughs> but uh, I'd like to ask you both. Um, in term, something new I didn't actually. I decided to stick to my routine as much as possible during the pandemic. So um I probably gave myself half an hour more sleep time to because I don't need to commute into the city. But other than that, like I still wake up every morning. I still exercise before starting work. And, you know, I've been doing my meditation and all of those things just like I would during uh, a normal work days. And that hasn't changed much. Um, reading is something that probably I have changed, but that's less pandemic related and more a personal choice. I used to watch Netflix like everybody else after the kids were in bed. Um, and I've stopped watching Netflix during the week now and I've gone back to reading, which has been amazing. I just, um, that was the best thing I've done in a long time. Any, any books you have to recommend? Um, well, Can't Go Past Donut Economics by Kate Rayworth. Um, I think that book is gaining a lot of traction nowadays and I'm just really excited to see. Um, so I absolutely love that book. Um, but how do we meet the needs of all people within the means of the planet? So that's kind of the concept of the donut. Um, and the other book that I just finished reading was Sapiens, which, um, again, is, uh, I mean, it's a very popular book, and I think most people would have read it by now. Um, but it just gives this great perspective um, and insight into the impact we all can have as human beings. I mean, you know, 
we tend to talk about the insignificance of a single person, right? But then when you put that into context of every other species on the planet and how much we have achieved in such a short period of time, uh, positive and negatively, um, you just realize that, you know, everything that we do is actually an enormous amount of impact relative to everything else that exists. So well said. shouldn't take that for granted. So what can people do today uh, and their organizations to support social enterprise? Um, Buy from social enterprises, number one. Uh, So if you work in an organization um, that is not a social traders member, (laughs) send me an email and we'll be in touch um, so you can start to buy from social enterprises. Um, Also, you know, personally, there are lots of um, business to consumer social enterprises that you can buy from. Who gives a crap? Thank you. Um, you know, those fabulous organizations. Um, and the other thing that we've recently launched to support the sector is um, we've launched a pro bono program where we're connecting social enterprises with um, support within the, you know, this is either consulting support, um, advice on how to do a board refresh, taxation advice, um, marketing, comms, any sort of support. And we've been connecting them with um, experts within the industry that have capacity to provide pro bono assistance. Um, so if there's anybody that's interested in providing pro bono support to social enterprises, feel free to you know, reach out to me as well. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's just been wonderful to hear your insights, your observations, and learn from your experience too. Thanks. It's been a pleasure chatting. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit the subscribe button in your podcast player or the link in today's episode notes. Why not share the podcast with your networks? After all, 62% of our subscribers come from word-of-mouth recommendations and social shares. You could also leave us a five-star review and some kind words in the iTunes store. If you love what we do each week and want to support the show, you should join our growing community of Patreon supporters or consider becoming a show sponsor. To learn more about all of that, just head to humansofpurpose.com.